Hey, I'm Bruce Weinstein, and this is the podcast Cooking with Bruce and Mark. And I'm Mark Scarborough. And on this episode of the podcast, we are continuing on from where we stopped last time. Believe it or not, still talking about New Year's Eve. I know we're not even through Christmas, but we wanted to talk about New Year's traditions and New Year's Eve because we think you can get a good running start. It's listen, it's too late to talk about Christmas. It's over. <laughs> so let's talk about New Year's and let's talk for a moment about New Year's food traditions around the world. I mean, every culture has food traditions for New Year's, right? It's And they're all supposed to bring good luck and good health and prosperity. Yep. So there is an American tradition. It comes out of the African-American community. Yep. And it's it's a dish called Hoppin' John, which is, you know, a pea dish. It's field peas or black-eyed peas, yep. usually cooked with some kind of pork, pork hocks, or you could put slab bacon or some kind of pork in it, and usually served with collards or other cooked greens. And, and it also usually includes rice, he says, as yes. the southerner, but that's controversial in and of itself. There are the rices and the non-rices, so, you know, that's a whole thing in and of itself. And cornbread, too. I mean, whether you serve it with cornbread or not. I mean, I was reading some things that said that if you have cornbread, well, that's the color of gold, and the greens you serve with it are the color mm-hmm. of money in the yeah, U.S. It's so, a, well, well, we always ate black-eyed peas, and we often ate Hop and John, and I am from a very white bread, white, middle-class, suburban Texas family. And we often ate black-eyed peas because it was said to bring money. (laughs) No, it's really crazy. But we should acknowledge here that this is big-time cultural appropriation, and this is the bringing in of African-American traditions even into white households. This food is part of a hard-scrabble life. It was made from not exactly what our at the time considered the best products. It is a hard and difficult life and is the hope for a better future. And while we want to acknowledge that hardship, we also want to acknowledge the hope for a better future that has kept the African-American community alive, even in the United States all these years. And I think that that hope is best expressed here in a dish like Hoppin' John, which is a wonderful thing to eat on New Year's and recognize that American culture cannot be American culture without African-American culture as a part of it. So, okay, that's enough for my sermon. Let's, let, <laughs> let, well said. Well let's, said. Let's talk about what can happen elsewhere. Okay, so there's a Spanish tradition I've heard of where you ring in the new year with 12 grapes. I th- what, what is it? 12, gra- so what 12 happens glasses is, of wine? No, no, no. It's literally 12 pieces of fruit, 12 no, grapes. No, no, so no. At no the nobody st- eats grapes until they're well, fermented. <laughs> Here's the tradition that at the stroke of midnight, you eat one grape for every toll of the clock bell. So that means you have to eat them fast, right? right? If it goes ding, ding, bell gets ding, stuck. then you're just going to keep eating grapes until you have diarrhea. And oh, that's nice. how you start the new year. Nice. But it always comes back to that on this show. <laughs> so what I read was that the custom started at the turn of the 20th century and... You know, not to be too cynical, probably invented by grape producers because they had a bumper crop that year. So they're like, buy your grapes for New Year's. And if you get everybody eating 12 grapes at midnight, that's a lot of grapes being eaten. Yeah, it is a lot of grapes being eaten. Um, I don't think, I think I'm going to skip over that. I think I'll just take just 12 sips of wine and call it the same thing. There are my 12 grapes. But it is an interesting tradition. And it is an interesting tradition to count off. Of course, we all do count off the strokes of midnight toward the new year itself. And we should also, while we're here, we should stop and say that New Year's isn't always New Year's where we think New Year's is. <laughs> 
is. What are you talking about? Well, for example, the year change did not happen until March 25th in Dante's day. Okay, but that was 1,057 million years ago. <laughs> it was just 700 years ago, but okay, good try. <laughs> but the New Year's was March 25th. Uh, so, you know, just because we think Ooh, of... our brother's birthdays. Jan- yes, it's neat. Just because we think of January 1st as the New Year's, that doesn't mean that that is New Year's across the globe, although the American cultural hegemony is strong, and it has become, in fact, cultural New Year across the world, but it isn't always so. So, in fact, just remember that many people thought March 25th was the start of the New Year. 700 years ago. Well... That, they thought a lot of things. They thought the earth was flat. No, Dante did not. He thought the earth was round. So go on, continue <laughs> on with whatever you think. Dante believes the world is a, is a sphere. Well, I think that for New Year's this year, I want to eat tamales, which are a really big tradition, a Mexican tradition to eat tamales at New Year's. Now, not that you shouldn't eat tamales all year. You can and you do. But here's the thing. On New Year's Day, tamales are often served with menudo, which Mm. is tripe stew. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what I've read said you do that because menudo is supposed to be really good for a hangover. Oh, no. You can't. Come on. It's hangover food. You have it first thing in the morning. Okay, first of all, I love menudo and I love tamales. But really, honestly, no. If I were hungover, the last thing I want (laughs) to eat is some giant rich stew made with with tripe. Mm. That's just not going to happen. Well, you're getting it on New Year's Day. Okay. Well, tamales are are a very traditional product in many Southwestern American cultures and in Mexican culture. They are a festive dish. Tamales take a lot of work. Oh, yeah. And we're <laughs> going to go back to my uh, our other podcast that came right before this, the episode, and say you can easily serve tamales for uh, New Year's, but please go buy them. Oh, go buy them. Because Even if you buy frozen ones. They're just fine. so hard to make, and it takes so much effort to make that you should have a more celebratory holiday I guarantee you some of the people making those tamales in a restaurant that you buy them are also eating them pre-made. Mm, so. They may be. <laughs> so, you know, j- just just play it down, but tamales are a great idea. So m- a lot of people don't realize that Mark speaks German. Yeah. So, Mark, what is a Glückschwein? Nein, nein, nein. It's not a Glückschwein. What is it then? <laughs> it's a Glückschwein. Isn't and that what a, I said? Yeah, sure. <laughs> a Glückschwein is a is a good luck pig, and Glückschweins are uh, they're usually in the shape of marzipan. I mean, they're usually made from marzipan, and they're in the shape of a little pig, and they are eaten as piggish good luck in some German and Austrian cultures. They go back all the way to the notion of wild boars as winter food uh, from the Middle Ages. Ooh, we're back to Dante from the Middle. <laughs> ages and I just want to reiterate he thought the world was round he and full it was of Glückschwein no he didn't think it was full of Glückschwein but he did think it was round spherical only the idiots in the Spanish court thought it was flat that's because they'd been eating those stupid 12 grapes every year <laughs> so that, come on that started but, in the 20th century from the grape growers who Pythagoras had knew the world was round Aristotle knew the world was round so the idiots who thought it were flat were few and far between they just happen to sit on thrones so anyway try yourself some good little pigs uh, out of marzipan marzipan by the way it makes a great new year's treat it does i remember one year and i think it was william sonoma they sold a variation of this marzipan pig and it was a hard candy pig and it was oh it was like the size of a baseball and oh. it came in a velvet pouch with There's a metal a- hammer to smash it Oh, and no. And you would smash this bubblegum-flavored hard Come on, that, that pig was hard sold pig. by the dental industry. <laughs> the, 
the Association of the United States Dentists sold that pig in order to have business for the new year. So somebody's going to try to eat its snout off and crack it to you. So in Japan, many families slurp down Toshikoshi Soba. What is Toshikoshi Well, they're also called New Year's Eve noodles. I do not speak. Japanese, no, so. me either. Please. At midnight on New Year's Eve, to bid farewell to the previous year, you slurp down these soba noodles. There was even an episode of one of our favorite TV shows, Midnight Diner Tokyo Stories. If you mm. haven't watched that, it's mm. on Netflix. Mm. At least two of the like very five sweet. seasons. It's a very sweet show, and this is a little diner that's only open at midnight, and he'll make anything if he has ingredients. And there is and a, everybody always wants something from their childhood, which mm-hmm. causes a whole childhood memory. And, and they have holiday, you know, they have holiday shows, and they did a New Year's Eve show where all the regulars, the cast, came in and he made them all these New Year's Eve noodles, these soba noodle dishes. And it was very sweet. So if you want to slurp down some soba noodles, um, you will be following in a long Japanese tradition. And in Scandinavia, many people eat herring rolled in oh, vinegar. They eat that all the time. I know, with pickles <laughs> and onions. It is said that the silver herring represents the hope for silver for money mm-hmm. in the new year. And if you know me, you know I love myself some herring. So I think this New Year's, I should be slurping down some pickled herring. Well, maybe we'll do, if you mm-hmm. listen to our previous episode of What to Serve, mm-hmm. Mark had suggested Jewish appetizing. Mm-hmm. And rather than steak tart tar this year we may i may make bagels and we'll have some smoked and fish i am not necessarily so for all of you out there i am not necessarily the herring and cream sauce guy i'm the matcha herring guy i'm the herring with the onions in the wine that's me and bruce will tell you tons of sugar in there too so there you go nothing like sweet strong fish nothing like it mm. i love it more than i could possibly say occasionally bruce will go to the supermarket and bring me home a jar of herring and i am always so thrilled to see a walk <laughs> In the door. <laughs> I love herring. Okay, before we get to our next segment of the podcast, let me just say, please rate, subscribe, do all the things that you can do to help this podcast go on its own way. We appreciate your support, and we appreciate particularly the thousands of you, quite literally the thousands, who listen every month to this podcast. Thank you so much for making it a part of your day. We hope that we make your day a little better. Okay, what's up next? Segment two, our one-minute cooking tip. This week, break out your waffle iron more often. Yeah, I think that people don't know this. I think that people don't know that waffle irons are not just for waffles. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of people think, oh, well, you just pull it out when you make waffles for like a holiday morning. Nope, Mm -hmm. not at all. What else are you going to put in there? Well, you can put a lot of thick batters in there. So let's say you have a banana bread batter. You don't have to bake it. You can Mm -hmm. make banana bread waffles right Mm -hmm. in your waffle. Just make sure you super, super spray the heck out of that thing (laughs) because it's going to stick, stick, stick like mad. But still... Banana bread batter, easy. Easy yep. pumpkin bread batter, yep. easy. You can make panini in there. You don't need to buy another appliance like a panini press. Just use your waffle iron like That's a panini right. press. That's right. You can make refrigerator cookies in your waffle mm-hmm. iron. You spray, can, it, spray it, spray, spray it, spray it, spray it, spray <laughs> it. But you can put the dough in there. You don't have to even cut it as cookies. You can make it as big waffles mm. of, of cookies. You can make paninis. And a lot of people don't know that waffle irons are excellent grills you can mm-hmm. use them to make boneless skinless chicken breast and cutlets particularly thin things thin, thin chicken yeah. breasts that are pounded thin cooks from both sides at once yep many frozen hash browns can be put right in your waffle iron spray 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 even spray. crab cakes you buy them ready made in the store 
And now mm-hmm. we've turned into the five-minute cooking tip yeah. on what to do. And let me also say your waffle iron makes the best grilled cheese. It really yes, does. It, does. It, it, it does. Make a grilled cheese like you would in a skillet. Spray the heck out of your waffle iron and make a grilled cheese in there. I promise it's the best. Okay. Up next in the next segment of this podcast of Cooking with Bruce and Mark, Bruce's interview with Mona Dolgov, who just won an award for her book, Satisfy. In fact, she was at an awards ceremony with us where we got a, oh my gosh, lifetime achievement-y kind of award. I am not old enough to get any kind of <laughs> lifetime achievement, anything from Readable Feast in Boston, but we got an award from them for being literary lions of New England. But Mona got an award too for her book book satisfy and she is up next with bruce today i'm talking to mona dolgov nutritionist culinary expert and author of the new cookbook satisfy delicious healthy and fulfilling meals for 500 calories or less and i should add that satisfy was crowned with the reader's choice award just last week at the sixth annual readable feast cookbook award ceremony mona welcome Oh, it's so great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So your new book, Satisfy. Tell me a bit about the title and why satisfaction is so important when we cook and eat. And how do we reach that goal? Yeah, it's it's a great, great question. So whenever I write a book, I do a lot of research and I do a lot of online Zoom cooking classes. And I talk to my guests who come, whether Zoom or live, and I learn about them. And overall, they're nervous in the kitchen. They're afraid to shop. They're afraid to prep. There's no kitchen confidence. They're feeling a little intimidated. And so the name Satisfy to me is so multidimensional. The first is it will provide the empowerment and the engagement in the act of preparation and self-empowerment to create a great meal and a really positive relationship with food. Secondly, what really annoys me in a lot of cookbooks, I don't know if you feel this, is that when they say that one recipe like serves eight and you take a bite and then that's it, you know, you end up eating half of it and you go, oh my gosh. And so what I wanted to do is really create a cookbook where the portions are really real and you will feel satisfied when you're done with it. I want that amazement when someone looks at their recipe and said, oh my gosh, I can eat all that and it's 500 calories or less. And that's the other uh, objective that I wanted to get out of that book as well. What I love about your approach to food, Mona, is that you understand everyone's need for comfort in food. And you talk about something you called strategic swaps to help make that comfort food a little more nutritionally sound. Yeah, so strategic swaps are to take all those yummy, gooey, delicious foods and not deny someone from that, but there's little things that you can do to make them healthier. And you know what, they'll taste as good or even better or won't make you feel that heaviness. I have a bunch of examples. So here's one. I use a plant-based milk or Greek yogurt as a replacement for sour cream, for like a dip in place of mayo. And I also um, have added even a dollop of Greek yogurt in great turkey gravy. You can even add that to kind of give it its thickness and it gives it a little bit of tang and it's delicious. So it's just one quick, easy swap from like heavy cream or heavy sour cream or mayo to use a little bit of Greek yogurt. It's a great and healthier for you too because it has a lot of protein. Another thing I like is uh, who doesn't like Alfredo sauce? And I wanted to figure out a way of how to make it not as heavy and dairy. And I found that unsweetened cashew milk And a little Parmesan cheese, when combined together, creates this great combination of savory, a little salty, and 
It's just amazing. Also, I swap out the processed spaghetti and use either a bean spaghetti or I like the combination of using like zoodles with a whole grain spaghetti. So you get the flavor and the texture of pasta, but you get a, you get it a little bit lighter as well. I also like using plant-based milks in salad dressings, like a creamy version of the salad dressing. So I have a great dressing in my, I actually have an air fryer falafel in my cookbook, and I have a tahini dressing that I love. And I just, the combination of a little unsweetened almond milk with tahini together, just a little bit of honey, and it just creates this mmm, this mmm dressing that not only you can use for this recipe, but also you can use it as a regular salad dressing as well. Do you have any other tips for home cooks that want to add more flavor without packing on the fat and salt? Other ideas that I have is I love peanut dressing. Who doesn't love like peanut dressing? So I have this egg roll in a bowl recipe, a skillet recipe done like in eight minutes. But the dip sauce that goes with it is like anytime I make it, it gets used for entertaining. I use it now as a dip for like some carrots and some snap peas and a little Brussels sprouts, whatever. And I use this dip almost as like the mmm of the, of the dish. And it's a combination of like nut butter and a little rice vinegar. And I, for gluten-free, I use coconut aminos, which I like a lot better than soy sauce because it takes a lot of the sodium away. And mixing that all together, it just creates a yummy sauce. My other dressing and sauce that I really love, I know you just wrote a book, a copycat book. Well, I wrote a copycat dressing for, uh, you know, the orange dressing that you get at an Asian restaurant when you're eating sushi, that yummy dressing. So I figured out how to make it. I'm like so proud of myself. I figured out how to make it. And it's a carrot ginger dressing. And it has a little bit of the rice vinegar that gets a little bit of the sweetness. And it's just, you put it in a food processor and it's just an awesome dressing. And it's another one of like the signature recipes in my book. Between that and the peanut sauce, everybody will go nuts over satisfied. I want to go on to talk about the whole fulfilling and the portion sizes that we talked about earlier. You know, a lot of books that offer set calorie recipes they just offer you either a piece of the meal, or as you said, oh, they offer you a bite, and then you end up eating the whole thing. And wow. But you offer up entire meals for under 500 calories. Like you have this grilled salmon scampi salad, which looked amazing, and a zucchini noodle ramen. You even put a roadmap to creating perfect sheep pan dinners. And to create those satisfying meals, with that calorie count, you call it nutritional balancing. What's the secret behind that? One of the reasons that I decided to do this complete meal thing is that the thought of making an entire meal is extremely daunting because, oh my God, what am I going to make for the side? What am I going to make for the main? What am I going to make for the vegetable? So I wanted to squelch that and I wanted to kind of create this whole meal experience that you can do all at once and boom, done. I like to what I call the great plate. So the rules of the road is that I wanted to make sure that there's at least within every serving, two or more cups of powerhouse vegetables, hopefully of every different color of the rainbow to get all those great phytonutrients and making sure that the plate is like 70 to 75% a plate with veggies and just embrace that. And those vegetables, as you mentioned before, can offer the natural sweetness to a lot of the sauces and to a lot of the meals and things like that. Then I wanted to make sure that from a protein standpoint, that there's at least four to six ounces of protein per meal. So you're getting between your 25 to 40 grams of protein per meal. Then 
from a complex carbohydrate standpoint, in English is whole grains, sweet potatoes, potatoes, um, quinoa, and things like that, a half a cup to one cup based upon your needs. And then lastly is a tablespoon of healthy fat, which means nuts or seeds, salad dressings, oils, and things. So that was almost my rule of my road whenever, you know, my blueprint for creating every recipe. And then I kind of dug down into, okay, now let the magic begin. What should I add in? What are the ingredients that I can add in to make it beautiful, to make it taste great, and all that? You've even covered cooking with the pressure cooker and the air fryer in your book, and you know those appliances are near and dear to my heart. Um, why do you think they're so popular with people in general? I love using those appliances because they offer less time, especially with a pressure cooker. It tenderizes tough meats faster. Plus, use, being able to have that whole one-pot wonder of using the pot for sautéing and pressure cooking, and it infuses the flavors faster from a marination. You don't have to deal with marinating for a lot of dishes like a chicken cacciatore, and it cooks in a third of the time, so that's great. And the air fryer, oh my God, the air fryer, talking about roasting vegetables, I think it's probably one of the best appliances for roasting vegetables because it does a really great job getting you that crunch, especially uh, my favorite is Brussels sprouts. I just love Brussels sprouts in the air fryer. And on lean meats, which is the whole premise of my book, it does a really great job with fish, lean like chicken burgers, and because it never, never dries out. And the beauty, you can even cook from frozen, which is a great and amazing, amazing attribute. And the crunch texture is just the best for healthy snacks like roasted chickpeas, falafel, kale chips, whatever. So I think it's a great appliance and you're using less oil, you're using less fat. That's not even needed. And you just get, again, getting the infusion of the flavors from the ingredients. I'm so glad you brought up snacks because my favorite chapter in your book is called Snackertaining. Snackertaining, it's, it's all about fun. I call it fun noshes. You know, it's easy enough to make for yourself, but it's impressive enough to serve for guests. And when you make these amazing snacks, you're being more mindful and, and you're saving them because that, it's the act of making them. You're all of a sudden being more mindful about what you're eating versus grabbing a bag of something and just mindlessly eating it, right? And again, the blueprint came out again. What am I going to do to make my little snacks? What's my great plate for snacks? And again, it's a balance of protein, carbs, healthy fats, veggie, and making it very flavor filled. And I made sure, and this is another, another thing that's important to me, when you create a snack, I wanted to make sure that the calorie count is like 200, 200 to 250 calories or less, because then you all of a sudden get involved in making more of a meal versus a snack. And I think during the course of the day with portion mindfulness, it's always important that when you're gonna have a snack, have a snack, you know, versus create a new meal and then eat another meal like an hour and a half later. So um, my favorite snack, I have a really great recipe for homemade granola bars with a lot less of that added sugar and your toasty, roasty oats are just so yummy. Um, nachos, that's a real common like, ooh, comfort food snack. But instead of using the tortilla chips, I actually use bell peppers and I cut them into triangles and you can make them in all different colors. So you get that whole gestalt of nachos, but you're using peppers instead of um carby tortilla chips and again less calories and a lot of food and so so delicious and adding some black beans to that for extra protein some veggie summer rolls where you're taking rice paper and putting all your deliciousness of 
fresh vegetables and then using my peanut sauce as a little dip, which is phenomenal. And then salsa tends to be a really big snack item. You take the jar. But what I did, I created a homemade salsa, but I made a smoked salmon salsa because I really felt the need that with salsa, you need to add a little protein to it. And so what can you make within a salsa that you can put on a chip, a whole grain chip, and still get the protein? And I just didn't want to do beans because that's too typical. So it was, so I created a smoked salmon salsa, which is just so good. And it has the peppers and the tomatoes and a little bit of jalapeno, and it uses smoked salmon. And then the flavor profile of the herbs, I use fresh dill and a little lemon, and it just, oh, it's so good, it's so pretty. And I, I shred a little hard boiled egg on top and it just makes a great, great dip, makes a great lunch afterwards if you wanna just eat it as a salad and it's just something new and different. The book is Satisfied, Delicious, Healthy and Fulfilling Meals for 500 Calories or Less. The author, Mona Dolgov, nutritionist and culinary expert. Thanks, Mona. Thank you. Okay, Bruce, that was a great interview. It's great to hear new cookbook authors talk about their works, and it's always great when somebody has a book as good as Mona's book, Mona Dolkov's book, Satisfy. So up next, our final segment, what is making us happy in food this week? Marmalade is making me very happy in food this week. <laughs> because this week... I said I'm laughing already. Because this week I decided to make marmalade. Mm. And it just makes me happy because I love the bitter, sour orange. There's a lot of sugar in it, but it's not as sweet as like strawberry jam, even though it has as much sugar, because the bitter, sour oranges... And I cheat. I use a can that has chopped up, schmutched oranges with pectin <laughs> in it. You Smushed. add that to a pan Smushed. with sugar and water. You boil it, and then you can it, and I you like, bottle it, I and like you get, and I like schmutch, too. What do you like this week? Um, I like something that you can never have. Um, <laughs> anybody listening to this podcast can't have it. I like Orchard Hill Baking. <laughs> and nobody can have this because, honestly, this is a bakery that has opened up in a tiny, small town next to us in rural New England. They're one town over from us. Bruce stopped by the other day. They've opened up a little bitty place. He picked up the finest loaf of pumpkin raisin bread I have had in a very long time. We enjoyed it very much for breakfast. We <laughs> It was warm when he brought it home and we had a little that afternoon and then it was good for breakfast and the reason i'm bringing this up is not because that you're ever going to make it to orchard hill baking in rural new england it's that you know what the best thing is to find a food find near you mm-hmm. and support it find mm-hmm. a small market a small producer find somebody that's doing something interesting near you in some strip mall in some shopping center even online and support their efforts because local food producers need all the help they can get and that's my little sermon about Orchard Hill Baking, how much I like their loaf, which means nothing to you, but it does mean that you should be on the lookout for food finds around you. Hey, that was our episode of Cooking with Bruce and Mark. We had New Year's Eve food cultures from around the world. We had our interview with Mona Dolgov, author of Satisfy. We talked about what's making us happy and hopefully convinced you to take your waffle iron out. So come back, hear another episode of Cooking with Bruce and Mark. You'll get more tips, more interviews, more fun. And I've also already said it but i want to say it again thank you for listening to this podcast and thank you for letting us be a part of your day we hope that we have made you laugh a little bit maybe a little bit too much about certain things and we hope that we give you some pleasure for from this podcast and that otherwise you will come back for the next episode of cooking with bruce and mark